What you didn't know about the Gospel of Mark. This is Dive Deep. From the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois, this is Dive Deep, where we dive deep into our Catholic faith. I'm Andrew Hansen with Father Chris House and Amber Servany. Father Michael Friedel here as well, pastor at Our Lady of Lourdes in Decatur, also background in biblical studies. So we brought him in to talk about Mark. Good to see you, Father Friedel. It's good to How's be How's everything here. in the soy city? It's good. You know, in the winter, it doesn't uh, it doesn't smell as much like soybeans, so there's benefits. There's, you got that going for you, which is nice. Uh, year B, that's what we're in right now. That's the Gospel of Mark. That's what you're hearing at Mass. Um, you'll also hear from the Gospel of Mark on the Easter Vigil coming up later this year. And so we're going to get into Mark. We're going to talk about some interesting things you didn't know about him. Uh, Father Frito is going to talk about some things you maybe never heard about uh, about Mark. And just, you know, kind of package it all together. Who is Mark? What's this all about? So first, before we get into those interesting things, Father Friedel, who is Mark? What do we know about him? Yeah, so it's it's sort of, you know, one of those things that for the, the authors of the Gospels, we have who the Gospels are attributed to, but, you know, there's a whole history there with, with biblical scholars debating whether, you know, the Gospels that we have are actually written by those very people or whether they're not, and that's kind of... Uh, it's a bit of a niche topic, but this, these are the things that biblical scholars like to... This is stuff you, you guys, you like to chew on this. Yeah, we, we argue about these things all the time. It's what we do for fun. Um, but it seems to be that the, the most reliable thing that we have is that uh, Mark was probably John Mark, who is referred to in the scriptures uh, elsewhere. We actually have a couple of sources, early sources in the church. Um, Eusebius wrote about who this figure of Mark was. Uh, some centuries later, they have uh, some interesting uh, little factoids about who this Mark was that wrote down the second gospel. Um, my favorite one is, is this. It, uh, this is, comes from a, a source around 160. Uh, it says, Mark, who was called stump-fingered, for, because for the size of the rest of his body, he had fingers that were too short. And, uh, and so that source points to the fact that uh, this Mark was Peter's interpreter. So Mark whoever he might have been, was likely a follower of Peter and Paul, probably the John Mark that is in Acts uh, chapter 12, and so would have been writing down the gospel according to Peter, really. With his stump fingers. Right, with his poor little stump fingers. See, I didn't note that at all, that he was, in essence, kind of maybe Peter's secretary, and if, if you want to yeah. use that word. Yeah, and, and, the, and the sources that are, again, that early in the church, they talk about him writing down not necessarily an orderly account of, Pe- of the tales that Peter told, but that he was following Peter around, he was listening to the stories that Peter told, and he decided at a certain point to write them down. And so it's not so much about, you know, and then Jesus did this, and then Jesus did this, but he's, he's taking all of the stories that Peter and, and maybe Paul would have told uh, about Jesus, and then he's creating an account with them. And Father House, when you were in the Holy Land, uh, you found some interesting, we'll call them pious legends about Mark as well. Yeah, there's the one that sticks out was uh, because Mark is this mysterious figure. We know he was not among the apostles. So there's this pious legend that talks about that it was Mark's family who owned the upper room. And so how Mark gets, because with Mark, it's the passion and the resurrection narratives are the earliest written down gospels that we have. So Mark is a witness to this by this tradition because Jesus and the apostles left the upper room when it gets to Gethsemane. The temple guard comes first to the upper room to find Jesus. He's not there. 
they then go out to Gethsemane and this young Mark follows. And so he becomes a witness to the arrest and other events, so on. And it's just, do we have any way of proving that? No, but it's a legend that's been handed down for centuries. So, yeah. And I know, you know, one thing that uh, I think comes to mind when you think of the Gospel of Mark, um, it's also some of the, it's the shortest gospel. It is, yeah. Um, and where does it pick up? Where does the Gospel of Mark, does it, it doesn't, does he tell the, narr- the nativity no. stories? So it picks up right away with his passion we get john the baptist john the baptist okay so yeah i mean it's, it's a it's a short that i mean that's that's the first thing i think that's kind of striking about mark's gospel um is it's short and you know would did other um of the gospels did they lean on mark for anything that we know of that's another one of those uh hotly debated <laughs> questions amongst biblical how, scholars how many hours would you like my answer to be in um, well i mean in, in your brief study about mark i mean yeah is, did they because they kind of lean on each other but sometimes i think there, is there ever one that's kind of like the source there's it's it's hotly debated um most people would sort of hold that mark was the first gospel hmm. i would most um some argue that matthew might have been the first gospel written down but then you have to explain why Mark cut out a whole bunch of the things that Matthew wrote down, right? So it's a lot easier to say Mark was probably first, it's the shortest, and a lot of the uh, other gospels. So Matthew and Luke would have sort of drawn on, well, this is the account that Mark lays out. We'll add the details that we see um, to sort of, to, you know, to tailor to our audience a little bit. And so for all of us who are going to Mass or watching Mass online, we hear the Gospel of Mark this year. What are some themes, the general themes of Mark's Gospel that when we're listening to them, what should, what should we keep in mind? What's kind of his interpretation, how he viewed things and how we should view the lens of what he was viewing when we're, we're hearing these words of Scripture? Sure. Well, Amber was just, uh, we were talking about this a little bit before we started filming, and, and you were saying you, you read the Gospel uh, or a little bit. Of the I, I started to. I was glad it was the short one when I started to read this last <laughs> night, and then I still wasn't able to finish. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's you know that's what well, you were you were commenting the uh, that it's it's so quick. Oh, it, it, right? yeah. I mean, I love reading Mark. Actually, when I in comparison, that's what I was thinking. Like Mark gets to it real fast, which I like and appreciate. Actually. Well, when you got like, stump fingers, you just can't keep yeah. typing or writing all day. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it brings a whole new light to this. <laughs> sure. uh, yeah, but that's one of the things that most people get that impression when they read the Gospel of Mark. It's very fast-paced. It's uh, Mark's favorite adverb. He uses it 41 times in the entire Gospel, which it's only 16 chapters. But 41 times he uses the word immediately. <laughs> so everything in, everything in Mark's yeah. Gospel happens immediately. And immediately they went out and did this. And immediately Jesus spoke to the apostles or whatever. Um, you get that adverb so often, and it's really, it's Mark's way of sort of driving the narrative along. So, so in Mark, you get a very like vivid um, tale. He's just a very vivid storyteller. Just because it's the shortest gospel does not mean that it's, uh, it cuts out most of the details. Actually, Mark, um, for all of his terseness, the very short uh, phrases that he uses, he actually has a lot more detail in his stories than, than I noticed a lot of that. The like the the story that of the girl he raises from the dead. Like so you know like what he's saying is obviously significant because what he says is so little, but he points out that this girl's twelve. And I'm thinking for a guy who's not saying a ton, to point out the tiny detail of this girl being twelve years old struck me. Yeah. Is there significance to her being twelve or is it just like part of his writing style? I think a part of it is certainly his writing style. I think there there could be significance. I haven't studied that passage in depth uh, too much, but there's 
it's there are tons of little details like that that are in Mark's gospel that are not elsewhere. Like in uh, when Jesus uh, is asleep in the in the boat, uh, Mark adds a little fact that uh, he's asleep on a cushion. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of my favorite little details. It's like why you know, why is that necessary? None of the other gospels included. He wants to Jesus wants to relax. You yeah. know, he's he needs a, he's a good cushion. Father House, I mean, you've been a priest for how many years now? Fifteen years. Eighteen. Eighteen years. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've done the God. B, which is Mark now, what is that, divide by six? You've done it six times, or divide by three. Uh, what strikes you about the Gospel of Mark? I mean, one thing that you get is you don't get, it's funny how, it depends on how you look at it. You, you, a lot of people say you don't get much detail because it's short as gospel, but yet it's the smallest things, and sometimes they have great significance, sometimes they don't. One thing we talked about before um, we started recording was that Mark has a writing technique that a professor of mine, when I was at Mundelein years back, Father Jim McElhone, he called it a Mark and Sandwich. I don't know if that's actually the proper name or not, but Mark folds a story within stories quite often. The one example I did was when the synagogue official comes for Jesus to come and to raise his daughter, in the middle of that story is the woman with the hemorrhage who gets healed. So you have a miracle within a miracle, but that's Mark does that repeatedly, that he has this the sandwiching of events and that. The one thing that has always stand, stood out to me, though, too, is because, and Father Field will talk more about this or maybe about the passion narrative since we're approaching that, is that Mark is dark. So, and all the passion narratives all have different fields. You know, with, with, with John, it's, it's the triumphant Christ who wills all this to happen. With Luke, you have the Christ who is loving and merciful to the end, who is ministering all the way. With Mark and then followed by Matthew, though, you have a very dark passion narrative. You have, you have this innocent man that evil has surrounded, and the darkness and the gloom and the evil just, just come in, come in, and just totally envelop him. So that's, um, it has a very, yeah, it's, it's a different flavor and different feel than the other passion narratives. So You know, it's interesting you, you bring up the details. You know, I'm, I'm looking here at the gospel you hear um, on the Easter vigil from Mark, and he's describing when Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary the mother of James, they all, they all approach, and of course they see uh, the angel, and it says, upon entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in white robe, and they were utterly amazed. It's like all these little fine details, and you know, it, it is kind of eye-opening in that I feel like what you said, you know, he uses the word immediately. It's almost like that's how we talk. And so I get a sense of more, I feel like I can, I'm drawn in more. I can, I can, I can see it. This is, this is how we would, we would describe things. So I think it's, it's fascinating how, despite it being short, it is, it is littered with little fine details here and there that I think add to the richness of the story. Absolutely. The, one of the big themes that, um, if I had to sort of boil uh, Mark's gospel down to sort of one theme it would be really pounding in the sort of messianic identity of Jesus Christ. That's one of the things that from the very beginning, literally the the first words of the gospel are the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So that sort of seems to be Mark's whole project, which makes sense, especially if it's the first gospel written down, that we're going we're gonna to get to the point of this is the Messiah we want to tell you about the Christ who came. And uh, and so in Mark's gospel, it's actually very neatly divided uh, against structures or one of those things that biblical, biblical scholars, we just go bananas for. Um, but halfway <laughs> through Mark's gospel, you get the stories all leading up to um, the eighth chapter of Mark are all these healings. It's, it's, it's the story of 
the manifestation of the Christ, right? The way that the Christ is revealing himself through his wonder working and that kind of thing. In the eighth, directly in the, in the middle of the gospel, you have the great confession of Peter. He says, um, you, know, the, you know, you are the Christ who Jesus asks, who do, you, who do people say that I am, et cetera, et cetera. And Peter's confession comes, you are the Messiah. Right? You are the Son of God. And from that point, Jesus immediately takes his turn, sort of his vision is set on the cross. So he begins to instruct the disciples that, you know, I am the Christ, but that, that uh, discipleship's going to look a little different, right? We're, the Christ is, has come to suffer and to, to offer himself for our sins. So it's not, it's not the sort of like military leader, like, yeah, let's go, let's follow the Christ. Yeah, this uh, is the guy sleeping on a boat with a cushion, right? right. <laughs> it's going to look a little darker, as, as Father House put it. Do we know at all if, um, okay, so, so Mark is Peter's kind of right-hand man, in a sense, for taking notes of their stuff. Did, did Peter uh, check his work? I mean, do you think Mark ever came back and said, like, all right, hey, I wrote this, Peter. Uh, what do you think? Do you, did I miss anything? Do we know anything about that? It seems as though uh, most scholars would say that um, Mark's gospel is written after the death of Peter and Paul, okay. um, probably from Rome. Certainly, uh, most people point to Italy anyway, but tradition holds that it's from Rome. Um, so, and so, how many years after death is that? So we have um, most people would put the date in the range of sixty-eight to seventy-three um, A.D. So we're talking ten years after um, Peter's death. Um, somewhere in that in that ballpark. So Peter wouldn't have had the opportunity to sort of proofread <laughs> necessarily, <laughs> but um, but you have to guess that Mark was being very attentive to to passing on the tradition. Because remember, Mark himself is not a, a follower of Jesus. Mark did not um, did not follow Jesus in his life. He was not one of the apostles. He was probably not even one of the people that um, followed in the train of disciples. Uh, he knew about Jesus Christ because of Peter. And so he was very careful about safeguarding what he knew because Peter passed it on to him. That's, I mean, that's really interesting that I never knew about Mark. Almost like you come from, if you want to call it a journalistic perspective, it's more, he's more objective um, in that I'm just going to convey what I saw and heard and I'm not going to you know, kind of slide in my own thoughts and opinions on things. Well, and remember, ultimately, 35 years pass from the ascension to when Mark, the earliest possible date of writing it right. down. So, I mean, there's a lot of time and development of the gospel from the oral tradition to actually writing it down then. Now, Father Friedel, I know in preparing for this podcast, I asked you, what are some interesting things about Mark's gospel? I know we've already talked about all the interesting things, but <laughs> but uh, three things that really struck you that you think most people may not know, uh, what, what is the list you came up with? So uh, one of the things you actually kind of pointed to it a little bit in the when you're talking about the details from the resurrection uh, there's this really curious uh, instance in, um, I think it's Mark 14, when, when Mark is uh, talking about the, the arrest of Jesus. And we have this strange detail that's only in Mark's gospel that, um, you know, there's a young man dressed in a white linen cloth who, they, you know, they try to grab him when all of the disciples are sort of running in the chaos of the, <laughs> the arrest. They grab this young man by the cloth and he runs away naked. Uh, so, so there's this very interesting detail and scholars for like centuries now have gone, what is this, right? What are we looking at in this, in this like episode? Because it's not evident, um, why it's here in this gospel. And so 
some people claim that, um, I think we've talked about this before, you know, uh, some people claim, well, even in the tradition that you were talking about from the Holy Land, um, that maybe that was Mark himself, right? If, if uh, Mark is including it, maybe it's because he was the eyewitness there at the arrest and he's dictating this event because it happened to him. Um, that's, that's one offering. Something that I had a scripture professor point out to me was that um, the same word there, a young man in white cloth, neoniskos is the word that Mark uses. It's used one other time in the Gospel of Mark. And that is at the events of the resurrection. We're told that a neoniskos in white is sitting in the tomb and announces the, the resurrection of Jesus. So whatever seems to be the sort of great project, whatever this detail might be in Mark's gospel, it seems to be that Mark is very intentionally um, trying to point you to these two events, right? Um, at, the, at the arrest of Jesus, all of the disciples flee. We're told that literally everyone. And Mark seems to be saying that even this guy who, you know, they grabbed him by the cloth, he ran away naked. So, so utter was the abandonment of the disciples that even this happened. But at the resurrection, there, this will change, right? Discipleship will become possible again um, because Christ is resurrected. Hmm. Now, also in reading uh, the resurrection narrative from Mark, they talk about Mary Magdalene. What, and I remember visiting Rome, and I know you studied in Rome. There was a church right by the Vatican. I remember walking in, and off to the side of the altar was the foot of Mary Magdalene, <laughs> and it said the first foot to enter <laughs> <laughs> enter the tomb of Jesus. Is that Mark or what, what does that refer? That, that always struck me when you show me, you, see, you know, you see the. That sounds very the, Italian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. Was Mary Magdalene the first to enter the tomb? Do we know that? Or is that just it's, it's, pious um, legend again? Well, I mean, the gospels dictate Mary visiting the tomb. So yeah, okay. there's, uh, there's certainly a tradition for that, evidence for that. All right. But that's a very specific detail that the Italians <laughs> would love. <laughs> uh, okay, so number two on your list. Um, so the other cool thing that uh, I took a whole class on, uh, the professor called it the, the Easter, or the resurrection narratives. And one of the really interesting details that he pointed out was that in Mark's gospel, and then really in Mark's gospel alone, we have the announcement of the resurrection from within the tomb. So from within the very place of darkness and death is announced the resurrection. And uh, one of the details that he points out uh, is that in Matthew and Luke, we hear the announcement uh, go something like, you know, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen. Um, in Mark's gospel, he actually flips that last little phrase. He says, you know, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, the crucified he is risen, he's not here. Um, so in Mark's gospel, what becomes very clear, very evident in the way that Mark phrases it is that this is an announcement of the kerygma. The kerygma we talk about is the announcement of the passion, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have the entire summary of the gospel up to this point right here in the, in the darkened tomb that, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, he was crucified, he is risen. And so you get this really uh, fantastic sort of, um, it, it, the implications of that is just that 
from the place of darkness, God brings light. Well, that's what's so fascinating. And that's why I love hearing when you, you know, biblical people have biblical backgrounds start talking is there's so much imagery in the Bible that I think is, I'll be honest, as like a lay Catholic, you, you kind of glance over and don't realize. Like I always think of the nativity, you know, Jesus born in a manger and, you know, animals, you know, that's where animals eat from. Well, Jesus also offers his body for food for us. You know, there's all these, all these imageries that you don't never necessarily pick up on. And that's one of them right there that you just said. I'm like, well, that's fascinating that the announcement is made from darkness because, yeah, Jesus is the light of the world. I think that's, that's really intriguing to me. Yeah, there's, I mean, it's sort of like visiting a museum, reading the scriptures. <laughs> you know, like you walk in and if you don't have somebody who's there who studied all of this stuff and who like, you know, can point out, hey, do you notice how this certain painting looks just this way or whatever? And you go, yeah, you know, I see it. <laughs> I see it now. It's kind of like that with the scriptures. When you have a guide, um, it's really the things that come alive are fascinating. All right. And then the third thing you came up with that's fascinating. Okay. So the last thing, and this is, um, you know, I don't want to shake anybody's faith, but uh, Mark's gospel actually has, seems to have two endings. Um, so very fascinating here. Is Which I've that, never heard. Amber, have you ever heard that? No. <laughs> well, hopefully you don't run away <laughs> calling me a heretic. But, um, so Matthew, Father House uh, has called me a heretic enough on this program, <laughs> so I think you're okay there. Sure. Mark's gospel seems to have originally ended at verse 8 of chapter 16. So there are 20 verses in, in chapter 16 of Mark's gospel. Um, so the first eight seem as though they are kind of the original, if you will. Um, the other 12, um, I will say they are attested to in the major manuscripts that we have. So it does not mean that they are not very, very early. Um, it does not mean that, uh, you know, it, it's not canonical, you know, because in the, in the Catholic Bible, you'll flip open the Gospel of Mark and it has 20 verses. So it doesn't mean it's not the inspired word of God. What it does mean, though, is that Mark, when he was writing, seems to have ended his gospel on a very, very curious note. So this is the eighth verse of, of chapter 16. It says, so they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. That is the way that, Mark's, that Mark chose to end his gospel. Definitely a cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the question is, why the heck would you end a gospel like that, right? That, you know, we've got the resurrection, cool, but like... You didn't finish the story, in But a that's sense. it? <laughs> so that seems to be why somebody was like, we're going to add these. We've got a few, just a little bit more of a story to tell. You know, we're going to talk about the ascension. We're going to throw in there that Jesus appeared to a few people, which happened. So, you know, they're trying to sort of give you the end of the story. But Mark ends his gospel that way, it seems... Because he's posing the question to you as the reader, right? So Mark's telling this uh, gospel, these stories, to people who have probably heard it. The question that lingers in your mind is, what do you do with the evidence of the resurrection? Like, do you believe or not believe? Yeah. That's the question. The question is, do you believe and do you tell people, right? Because we obviously have, they weren't silent forever, Otherwise, nobody else would know about this, right? We are getting these stories because they, at some point, had the courage to go forth and to share this news. The question is, do you, as a disciple, what do you do with it? Do you stay quiet about it, or do you carry on the message of the resurrection? Isn't that kind of his theme throughout his gospel? I mean, several times he's like, don't you, he says to the disciples, don't you, don't you believe already, or why are you afraid? Doesn't he kind of poses that question a yeah. lot to them? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, discipleship in many ways in Mark's gospel, when you read 
the scholars talk about it, discipleship is an utter failure. Absolutely, they're awful. The disciples, <laughs> the apostles, they just do not get it. Still at the very end of the gospel, they're like, uh, you know, whatever. Like this. Um, so, the, the, which is cool, because Mark has a project for that too, right? That's why Jesus takes them to Galilee in the ascension. He says, you know, you will find me in Galilee. He takes them back to the very beginning, to where it all started happening. And the disciples are given the chance to follow him again, but now with the eyes of the resurrection, enlightened by the light of, of the resurrection. So now they have the potential to say their yes and to mean it because they know what the cost of discipleship is. That's just, yeah, that is utterly fascinating what you just described and the, the two potential endings. I wonder what Mark thinks. Like, I wanted to end it that way. That's the point. <laughs> come on, guys. You know, yeah, and then some, you know, other people come in. All right. Father Friedel, thanks for all your uh, analysis Absolutely. on this. Well, as you uh, read the Gospel of Mark uh, throughout this year, you know, keep those themes in mind, and uh, we will see you uh, next time here on Dive Deep. So if you'd like more podcasts, head on over to dio.org slash podcast. And until next time, we'll see you right here on Dive Deep.